This week's Press Gallery podcast is brought to you by Callaway. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate forged player's distance iron. Unmatched feel, distance, and control have been forged to perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel, and they'll get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighing in each iron fine-tunes launch trajectory and delivers tremendous control. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex at your local golf retailer, or you can visit callawaygolf.ca and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. Do subscribe to the Press Gallery. You can find us wherever you podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Give us a rating if you would be so kind. We love five stars. Any questions, comments, or concerns, do reach out to me, egraney at postmedia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, the slightly hungover Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 14, 2019. This is the Budgets and Backbench Bills edition, though I should have called it the Hooray, the Raptors 1 edition or the I can't believe I just watched an entire game of basketball for the first time in my life (laughs) edition. A good one to watch. It was a good one to Mm. watch. Had a good night. Except for the last 0.9 seconds that seemed to the refs like was it a technical foul and then so they call a timeout that they don't have and (laughs) they get a technical foul but then there's still a timeout because the refs have to sort everything out right and then there's a foul that wasn't a foul. Longest less than a second ever. Really though. Yeah. But yay Raptors. I bet you're all very glad that you tuned in for an Alberta politics (laughs) podcast and you're getting a little bit of sports uh, roundup as well because we're all um experts now. So <laughs> around around the table with me today, I have my legislature colleague, Claire Clancy. How are you, Clancy? I'm great. Also on the heels of our Raptors <laughs> fandom last night. We had a good time. We did. Clancy and I went to a bar with some friends. Yeah. And I reserved a table, so I had to sit there for like seven hours. So <laughs> She's a true hero, yes. guys. True hero. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> Keith, you're right. Politics columnist. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm a little under the weather. You can hear in my voice. Uh, you know, it's, it's mid-June and I have a cold. Uh, this Unbelievable. This shouldn't be happening, but uh, here we are. So The universe is punishing you. Indeed, yes. Or maybe you are hungover and you're just trying to hide it with a tall tale about a cold. I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish no, I was don't. hungover. I wish I was drinking last night with the Raptors, but I was a good boy. I had <laughs> uh, refrained. And Dave Breckenridge, our boss, how are you? Good. Yeah. Good. You're like, what? What is this talk of hangovers around the table? <laughs> <laughs> Professionalism at its finest, Dave. We are going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about the interim supply bill that came down this week. Ain't no party like interim supply party. No one's ever said that before, nor will they say it ever again. We're going to talk about a couple of bills from UCP backbenchers, including one that could see EpiPens at every single school in Alberta. And we're going to explore why unions are super mad at the UCP government this week. Let's start off with interim supply. So fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) We all roll right now as well because Clancy's, she's just looking at the ceiling going, ugh. Yeah, (laughs) this was a tough uh, story to cover just because it uh, basically what happened was the interim supply bill is supposed to bridge the funding gap that the government will have um, until a fall budget is brought in. There was a supplementary supply act and an interim supply act brought in. 
And, um, you know, it's just combing through the numbers, you're trying to see kind of some of the funding priorities and what we're going to see. There wasn't anything super surprising, I don't think, in the bills. um, But there definitely is still a lot of uncertainty, especially around health and education. Um, And so that was kind of the main point that the NDP took from the acts was that, um, you know, what is the per student uh, funding for enrollment going to be? Uh, That number didn't appear in the bills. So there's, you know, there's questions about specifically health and education. Yeah. And another point around that this week, because the finance minister, Travis Taves, he scooped his education minister um, and basically said in the House during question period on a day that there were only, I think, four ministers there or something because everyone was in a big meeting with Indigenous leaders. But he he got up um, in response to NDP questions and said, oh, yeah, we're committed to funding enrollment growth in schools, which is something that the NDP has been asking um, Health Minister Adriana Lagrange for quite some time, and she is quite skilled at not answering that question. And then Travis Taves got up, the finance minister, and went, hey, we're doing it. And everyone went, why? There's an answer. Look at that. And then Lagrange came out the next day, and she's like, well, I was disappointed that he did that because I wanted to share the news. Yeah. She was very She very could sad. have used a, a win as well. <laughs> yeah. She could have this <laughs> she, week. She yeah. needed it more than he did, I think. She, she yeah. did say the total amount of money that will cost this year will be $150 million. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the issue is that, and I, I know we talked a lot about this last week uh, with Janet, who uh, is the education reporter that knows far more about this than I do. But um, the school budgets are due before the fall budget will come mm-hmm. out. And so that's kind of the issue that they're going to face is that without knowing that per student enrollment fee um, funding number, it's very difficult for them to plan ahead for the school year. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but there hasn't been a supply bill related to the education funding, correct? Like well, There like, weren't numbers specifically okay. to clarify those questions. Yeah. yeah. And so that Line was, items are missing in this. Right. Yeah. And okay. it is, it was pretty, um, like when we talked to Finance Minister Travis Taves about it, he said that um, really the bill was legislative obligation to pass commitments that the NDP had already kind of signed on to. And so that's really all that it was. It, there, that's why there really weren't any big surprising numbers that people were shocked by. And if I, if I recall correctly from 2015, the NDP had more than one interim supply bill to carry them through from when they were elected to their fall budget. They, they may well have. Yeah. I, yeah, there certainly was interim supply. There was also supplementary supply. And, yeah. and if you want to know the difference, uh, the speaker, Nathan Yay! Cooper, has posted a video uh, only a minute long. Uh, you can find it on Twitter explaining the difference between interim supply and supplementary <laughs> supply. Which <laughs> If I'm... you're a nerd like me, you'll totally geek out at that It's very video. useful. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it's typical of new governments that when they come in and don't quite have a handle on the finances yet, haven't entirely uh, yeah. decided uh, on all of the priorities that they will sort of fund the government this way until they get a mm-hmm. chance to implement a, a budget. I think the main takeaway from this this week is just that um, everybody's anticipating the fall budget and the finance minister has repeatedly said they're waiting for advice from this blue ribbon panel. And um, so that's really going to be interesting when that report comes out, I think, August 15th. And we'll see kind of what the priorities are and have a much better idea of kind of what the UCP's plan is for um, getting us out of the debt hole, as they call it. Yeah, there's a couple other takeaways to this, too. The, I mean, funding enrollment growth, it's a one-year commitment, right? Mm-hmm. It, there's no guarantee that they're going to continue to do this as more students come into the system in, in years down the line. So this is, as as you said, it's sort of 
fulfilling an NDP commitment. That's how they're phrasing it at this point. But they want to review class sizes, right? They want to review if that money is being appropriately used. That's one thing. The other thing is, even for this year, this this extra $150 million they're putting in, they haven't exactly said where this money's coming from yet, right? That's an interesting uh, conundrum that they have because remember they've lowered the corporate tax that comes into effect uh, July 1st. Another one uh, down to 10% uh, in on January 1st, so a 2% drop uh, in the corporate tax. That's going to reduce government revenue considerably. We've also heard that the uh, economy is not doing all that well in Alberta. That could potentially reduce the amount of corporate and uh, personal income tax that's coming in, royalties coming in. So if the government is in a bit of a revenue uh, hole here, how are they actually funding $150 million in, in to pay for new students. We don't know. Is it going to be taking money away from other things like healthcare? There's a review of Alberta Health Services on right now, or will start very soon. Is that where the money's coming from? Are they talking about wage rollbacks? That'll lead into a, a you know, a, a, a topic. That Hold on to that segue. Keith. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they haven't said, this is, this is the big mystery to me. Where is this money coming from? One of the other interesting points about this that I've noticed Premier Jason Kenney saying a lot is that the NDP have left us in a far worse state than we thought the books were. And they've been throwing that at the NDP this week. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that when the budget does come, that's going to, what they're going to be using. They're kind of spinning this narrative right now that the NDP lied and didn't tell Albertans the true state of the books and they didn't, um, you know, they were cooking the numbers basically is what they're saying right now. They're not saying that. I am paraphrasing that. But this is the message that they are delivering right now. So for me, that would indicate that when the budget does come out, that's what they're going to use, right? Yeah. There's going to it's going to be a badass news budget. Badass news budget? A bad, bad news, news bad budget? News. We, we, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, we may see it sooner <laughs> than that because the year end the fi- financial year end is of due course. June 30th yep. and so we should we should see something in there. I'm curious to to know if they actually feel like the government, the NDP government was essentially using the public staff, you know, uh, from finance and treasury board to present bad numbers to Alberta. That would be, that's quite an accusation to make. Well, and the UCP also ran on a campaign saying that the NDP had completely screwed over the economy. So if it is better news than they expected, they can't really turn around and start kind of lauding the NDP for fiscal performance, right? (laughs) That would never happen. (laughs) And and let's not kid ourselves. Every new government comes in and says the previous government left the the books in worse shape than than, uh, they let on. But, you know, I am curious to see what the year-end financials will be if it, you know, if it is as bad news as people say. The UCP could try and sell uh, the NDP doing Albertans uh, worse than they said they were uh, as good news for them because it allows them to move ahead with a lot of things that they may want to move ahead with cuts and, and what have you. But I think it's just bad news for them because they have they may have to turn around and and make more draconian cuts than mm. they said they were would in the election. So even if they try and sell it as, oh, the NDP left us in bad shape, um, you know, as, as many people said about the NDP through their term in government, they need to stop blaming the Tories and get on with the business of governing. And that at some point, the UCP is going to run out of excuses on that file as well. I know they're a new government and, and they still may have the luxury of saying that it's the NDP's fault, but at some point they'll have to make 
tough choices and that may not go over well for them. One of the fun little asides that happened this week as well with the, well, on Wednesday night with this kind of interim supply bills that they were trying to debate and get going. Mm -hmm. Bear with me here. This is a little bit into the weeds, but it is kind of funny if you're a process nerd. And hello, listeners, you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. (laughs) So Wednesday night, Jason Nixon, House Leader, gets up and says, this is like 10 o'clock at night or something, and is like, ah, so we need to rescind a couple of government orders. So what had happened is that the wrong piece of paper basically was sent to the lieutenant governor to sign off on before it came back to the house so that they could debate all of this the the money issues. And so she signed off on this thing and it had the wrong numbers in it. Um I'm told by Jason by House Leader Jason Nixon with the UCP that it was an administrative error. He doesn't want to throw public servants under the bus here. But basically it was a giant cock up. So then the UCP had to go to the NDP and say um, there's a bit of a problem, guys. Uh, we need to not debate this tonight. We need to push it to next week because she kind of signed the wrong bit of paper. So we need your unanimous support in order to be able to move that debate. And the NDP's like, oh, interesting. Let's see what we can get out of this. So then the NDP basically brokered a deal with the UCP, had some demands and went, all right, um, sure, how about no morning sittings next week so we can get some more work done. Also, I heard as well that there was a, they want to be able to choose which bills are being debated in the afternoon because the UCP is kind of using the afternoons to debate the, ele- I'm, I'm air quoting here, the, like the less contentious stuff. So the stuff about gay-straight alliances in schools, uh, the stuff about labor law changes as well, they're pushing to, to the night sittings when people generally are not watching the legislature quite so uh, quite so much. So constitutional ver- crisis was averted because the UCP is like, yeah, yeah, sure, have it, do it, no worries. So they got to debate it next week. And even in a two-party system, you have to work together sometimes, I, I guess, to get things done. I know. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone played nicely together in the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> isn't that sweet? They're best friends now. What was your segue earlier, Keith? Ah, the segue. <laughs> the segue was about uh, how the UCP might uh, try to pay for uh, uh, new students coming in, or for the budget in general, because uh, they have lost some revenue by uh, reducing the corporate tax and and the carbon tax. So this came up because there is the wonder about wage rollbacks for public sector workers. Uh, this seems to be a looming fight, and we. Uh, Started to see a bit of that, uh, I guess, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was was yesterday, Thursday at the the legislature. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of the the public sector union leaders uh, and uh, they were all in the gallery. Uh, They uh, were there to watch... The, uh, Bill the, Nine. Bill Nine, yes. Yeah. So, may, yeah, Claire, maybe you, you could describe <laughs> sure. Bill Nine. Yeah, this was my day the last few days because we kind of got a hint that this was going to be coming earlier in the week and um, the legislation was introduced yesterday. It's Bill Nine. Uh, bills also lately have every just time, had... Sorry, uh, every time you say Bill Nine, I, I keep thinking you say Bill, Bill Nine, Nine I know, and me I just too. go, besides God, <laughs> I went, no, Emma, it's Bill Nine. I know, I keep thinking that in my head too. It's terrible. It's, it's also very different from the Bill Nine under the NDP. It is, actually, <laughs> very good point. 
point. <laughs> That's true. So the UCP's Bill 9. And I just want to say all the bills have had such interesting names lately. Um, the Public Sector Wage Arbitration Deferral Act, so Boring. that's super fun, um, was introduced Thursday. And basically what it does is it allows the government to delay uh, wage talks with unions um, that are currently going through arbitration until after October 30, uh, 31st. And the reason why this is important is that currently there are um, numerous unions that are supposed to be in wage talks uh, for their collective bargaining agreements, including, and that includes um, correctional officers, peace officers under um, AUPE, uh, and um, AHS general staff that are supposed to be currently negotiating that. Um, after taking a wage freezes for the last few years. And so uh, the UCP has said, look, we don't know what the what the books look like. We need to wait and hear back from this blue ribbon panel that we've been talking about. Um, and so until that time, we're not going to actually negotiate new deals. And the reason why unions are so angry about this is it breaks um, binding agreements that they made with the province, their employer, that they would be negotiating at this time. Um, and so yes, Yesterday, uh, there were union leaders from um, AUPE, QP, um, AFL, and uh, numerous other people came um, in the labor movement all there to say this is absolutely unacceptable. Um, it's an attack on our agreements. And um, they're really, really angry. Yeah, Sarah Hoffman kept yelling at the um, at the UCP in question period because the NDP asked question after question after question about this, I guess, because the gallery was jam-packed with, with you know, union folks and labor folks. And then every time the UCP got up to answer, she's like, you're breaking the law by breaking these contracts. That's what the NDP is saying. Here. Yeah. And the NDP warned of, um, they're kind of, they're taking this extremely far and saying like, this could cause labor unrest. Like, what are we going to see? Are we going to see striking? Um, what's going to happen? And uh, union leaders said, we're going to take action. They said they're consulting with lawyers about what they can do about this legislation. Um, but yeah, it's I, it seems like it's going to turn into a bit of a mess. I get where Travis Taves was coming from when he when he was trying to defend it um, yesterday, when he's, he's talking about... Uh, we don't know what our budget is going to be. The idea that they can't commit to wage hikes or freezes or cuts or whatever until they have a sense of what their budget is going to be. And they're waiting for this blue ribbon panel to come forward. I get where he's coming from. But breaking uh, contracts with labor groups wasn't something the uh, UCP campaigned on. Even like this process wasn't something the UCP campaigned on. And you know, given that one of the members of the Blue Ribbon panel is someone who's already written reports that recommends wage rollbacks, it the puts the unions, yeah, the chair of it, it puts the unions in a tight spot and it really is a slap in the face of them. So while I can understand why the UCP wants to hold off on wage talks, it still is not a good look for the government. Yeah, I can understand why the unions are pissed and also why the government wants is doing what it's doing. Like mm. both sides make you know, are making very coherent arguments here. The, and the then, process by which the government has done it, though, is exactly. just is not. Then that's the it's problem. Not a good look. And I think part of that is that um, you know the finance minister said that they were having consultation sessions with unions, and the unions have said, "Well, that was actually a sham. There was no consultation. Yeah. They just decided they were going to do this, and and now we're not able to negotiate new contracts. Mm -hmm. And it's it's also includes employees like um, the sheriffs at the legislature as well are impacted by this. So yeah. the people uh, guarding politics politicians are now the not irony. able to negotiate their contracts. It's yeah, a little ir irony there. Yeah. And I, I think 
when you suggest there's some potential trouble to come, I think that's probably quite accurate. This does feel to me like the opening salvos in a much longer, much nastier fight to come. We'll see. Maybe both cooler heads will prevail at some point. But right now, uh, given the the position that the government's in where they are uh, having some revenue issues and have promised to, uh, you know, to, to cut those taxes and, and to keep spending at least frozen, um, if not actually decreased at some point, then, you know, th- there's a math problem for the UCP at that point. They are going to have to find some ways to, uh, to hold that spending in. And labor is by far and away the biggest cost for the government. And so I think you could see the government girding for a fight over wages here. Uh, unions are obviously not going to take that uh, lying down. Uh, they almost seem like they're interested in a bit of a fight as well. And the NDP is, of course, their ally in this. I'm not sure that the unions and the NDP win that fight in the court of public opinion. That's going to be very interesting. But I would suspect Jason Kenney believes he has the moral high ground here. He can sell to Albertans and, and many voted in the last election for this very thing, that spending has to come down, that the government is, is, uh, been, is been too, too, uh, too rich, uh, that the deficits and de- uh, debt are too high. And he believes Albertans will be with him if he takes on the unions to lower those costs. And that's what the problem stems from, right? Because for so many years, Alberta has just given contracts to, you know, nurses and teachers and the PC all gov- kinds of folks. The PC government PC did, governments yes. would like yeah. to gave them their- Significantly high, yeah. What it, it, across Canada, I mean, Alberta's contracts are way higher. I mean, yes, there's a slightly higher kind of cost of living in some places, but I mean- it's just interesting because of the oil boom here, everyone was making so much money. So in order to kind of attract people here and then work in those public wa- public jobs, you gave them higher wages, yada, yada, yada. And now that the oil industry is screwed and the economy is kind of up a certain creek without a paddle, that is causing quite a problem. But you're right on the, the political side of this, of course, Jason Kenney did campaign on this whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. throughout the election, he was talking about, you know, the unions and it was – it's very the, – the UCP is – and unions do not see eye to eye. I mean, I think that's a fair statement. They, throughout the campaign, talked about, you know, the NDP and their union friends and, and that kind of thing, right? So this is not coming out of nowhere and it's going to be an interesting fight. And it just – I think it's just important to note it does affect – tens of thousands of workers across so many different sectors. So this could potentially affect, you know, nurses, teachers. Um, yeah, we said before correctional officers. And I just think it's, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see kind of how it plays out and how how the unions, because it looks like they're kind of going to be strategizing together and banding together in order to fight this. So. Well, I mean, that's the union thing, isn't it? Stronger together. So, 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 solidarity. Right. That's and- so they were chanting that. <laughs> the reason I am chanting that is because uh, in the legislature yesterday, when all the, the Labor folks turned up, they had a press conference in the rotunda after question period. And then they all started chanting, so, 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 solidarity. 
and um, the sergeant at arms got quite upset because you're not allowed to have political rallies inside the legislature building. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. No, yeah. I heard it in my office actually downstairs in the press gallery. I could hear this chanting. I'm like, wow, they're really loud. I, I thought it was the unions. I just assumed they were outside, but no, no, they're above my head. <laughs> yeah, no, they were, and I think the unions knew they weren't supposed to be doing that, but decided to 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 get it on video anyway and uh, give themselves a little boost that they could post online. But I actually I tweeted out that video something along the lines of rot row you're not allowed to do that in the ledge and someone tweeted back at me and said yeah well you're not allowed to break labor contracts either so (laughs) (laughs) fair point (laughs) um let's move along to a couple of uh, backbencher bills that have been kind of interesting sometimes backbencher bills they are interesting private member bills private member motions um sometimes they're used as a bit of a political tool sometimes they're just something that a certain mla holds dear to their heart and decides that they want to try and change. Um, We've seen a couple of those, but I did want to dive into one from UCP MLA for Fort Saskatchewan and Vegreville, Jackie Armstrong-Homniak. I'm so sorry. Homniak? Yeah. Hominick? Hominick. Hominick? Okay. Yes. Sorry, Jackie. So I went to to junior (laughs) high with a couple of uh, Hominicks, different spellings, Uh, but I think that's how it is. So she, um, her... She has uh, life-threatening allergies herself uh, and turns out her kids do as well. Her two-year-old daughter almost died when having a relax- – How she had a reaction to eating some peanuts even though she'd eaten them plenty of times before Then suddenly she had an allergic reaction. This was out in Vegreville and they basically had to speed to Edmonton, kids turning blue, ephedrine shots aren't working, it's too late to do a trach. Like it was just a very dramatic story and she was in tears telling it. So she has introduced um, an anaphylaxis allergies kind of act and it's to – if passed as it is, it would require all schools and school boards in the province to have written down allergy policies and also require every school in the province to have an EpiPen, which was super interesting because they're about 100 or 150 bucks a pop, right? They're and not sh- cheap and they're in short supply. Is my understanding. Yeah. I kind of assumed that schools would have EpiPens on hand, which some is why I was do. surprised. Yeah. Yeah, some schools apparently do. Um, but there's kind of a mishmash of policies throughout the province. In her case, she, you know, has she sends Epi well, she used to, her kids are older now, but would like send them to school with an EpiPen because you kind of have to. The problem is with young kids is sometimes they just have those reactions where they've been fine before. So it's for those kids who aren't necessarily aware or the families aren't aware of them having an, mm-hmm. alert, an, an allergy, a life-threatening allergy. So, yeah, she's actually donated them to schools herself to make sure that any kid that has an allergy is covered or even a staff member. Like, you know, that's her argument. What if, you know, you get stung by a bee or a wasp and you have a really bad life-threatening allergic reaction, then there's a way to actually have something there. I think it's it's a great idea to have a discussion around allergies. Um, when my daughter was eight months old, she had an anaphylactic reaction to ice cream. What? Yeah. And she had had milk a ton of times before. Milk really? allergies are... I, so we, we learned a lot through that process, but milk allergies are actually more common in kids than nut allergies are. Um, and I think that it's a, it's a good discussion to have... A, Kids with milk allergies more often grow out of their allergies. So my daughter has outgrown her, her dairy allergy, uh, thank God. But it's, I think it's, it's great to have the discussion. I don't know if forcing schools to buy EpiPens, with the, which expire every year, would be a cost every year. I mean, yeah, it's only 100 bucks, 150 bucks, but extrapolated over schools across the province, who's paying for it? Um, but having good policies around it, um, it is a great idea. And I think that, that 
you know, for, for backbencher to, to bring this forward, I think is really positive and, and hopefully starts a good discussion. Yeah, it was, it was good to see this. Uh, and it's nice to see when a, you know, a private member's bill, uh, hasn't, you know, takes a, a legitimate issue, uh, cause sometimes those private members bills are very politically motivated. Yep. Uh, <laughs> this one is not, this one I think is a, uh, a well-intentioned, uh, well-meaning bill. We'll see what, uh, what both sides of the house do with it. Uh, Mike, one concern would be just with some of the the very small and remote school boards, whether this is um, how feasible this might be for them to everybody to have an EpiPen on hand and and to develop uh, policies sort of consistent with uh, you know a policy that works for the Edmonton public may not work uh, so well for a, like a northern school division or, or something like that. So, that's but it'd the, probably be more important there because they would. are so remote, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, and I think it maybe opens up a bit of a wider discussion about you know, do we need kind of these policies and EpiPens in other public facilities where kids are around and food is served and, you know, recreation centers, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that's the next step after, after getting it into the schools. But anyway, this was, this was a good news story and hopefully a nonpartisan story as well. Yeah. I mean, and further to your point, Dave, about cost, and she was kind of like, well, I mean, you know, it would be up to school councils to fundraise this kind of thing. Communities would fundraise. So it was deliberately not something that would at a cost. That's what she's arguing for because of the, of course, the UCP campaigned on, you know, fiscal restraint. So buying $100 EpiPens for every single school, solid idea, but is it fiscally responsible? I don't yeah. know. And I know that lots of schools have parent foundations that do fundraising and do yeah. casinos or bingos or whatever. And so there is money that these schools have, but not every school ha- has the same fundraising capabilities as other schools. You know, in a lot of cases, these are something that kids with allergies have and then carry around with them. Like when we, when our daughter was dealing with her allergy, we had two EpiPens, one that was always with us and one that was always at home. Uh, and it, it, having policies around schools that that have them accessible to the kids who have allergies uh, or asking them to fundraise, you know, may not necessarily be fair. Again, I know we're only talking about $150, but when you have a school of several hundred kids, let's say one kid has an allergic reaction one week and you use the EpiPen, then you have to have another one on hand. So what is the policy around how many do they have to have on hand? Uh, what is the cost? How do they fundraise? Is it a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars to ensure that they're replacing these every year? Those are some things I'd like to see worked out. Yeah, and it was interesting watching the because there's, there's now a committee, uh, the Private Members Bill Committee, um, which, as you might expect from the name, looks at private member bills. <laughs> um, and the NDP members were like, "Look, can we get teachers in here and school boards in here because we really want to know how this would affect them?" And the UCP were like, "No, <laughs> no, we're not, we're good." Well, let's just take it into the house. This is a no-brainer, said um, RJ Sigurdsson, who is a UCP MLA. So it's interesting that the UCP doesn't want to hear <laughs> They're like, no, nah, it's good. If anyone wants to send us letters, they can. <laughs> and that was kind of the extent of it. Yeah, it kind of shows that this new uh, private members bill committee is um, basically a way to funnel ones they don't like off the agenda for yes. a while, um, which was not what they said it was, mm-hmm. right? So they Yeah, that committee is an interesting one to, that I'm going to be keeping my eye on for that exact reason, because of course it is majority UCP, majority governing members. And so anyone, any that they don't like that the NDP is bringing forward, for example, uh, yesterday, the NDP tabled a private member's motion about public health care and preserving public health care. So I have a feeling that the UCP might uh, try and keep that one off the books for as long as possible. Yeah, keep it stuck in committee. committee. That's right. Exactly. So 
the cynic in me says that's exactly what they're going to do. All right, let's move to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, you want to kick us off? Sure. I'm going to recommend a series from the LA Times that was... Um, Sorry, not a podcast. Not a podcast today. Yeah. This you can listen books. to it, though. You <laughs> yeah. can. There is a link to listen to it. But um, I read it, and it was a really... It was an amazing series. It's called The Man in the Window. Um, it's... Uh, I think it's a four or five-part series about the Golden State Killer um, who's facing charges for 50 rapes, multiple murders. Um, and it's a very disturbing kind of true crime series um, about crimes that that stem decades. So yeah, definitely worth a read. Keith? Yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on in Ottawa right now um, around uh, amendments. There? there really is uh, around uh, amendments to uh, Bill C-69, uh, some of which uh, the federal government is accepting, some of which aren't. Uh, next week, uh, there is the big decision on whether the uh, the federal government will approve the Trans Mountain expansion. I think that's on Tuesday that's coming. And then the day after, Andrew Scheer is supposed to unveil the, uh, the Conservative Party's climate Climate change plan. So there's a lot of stuff going on. John Iveson in the National Post has written a good column kind of looking at all of this uh, called uh, uh, the, the headline is report showing how high carbon tax must go to meet Paris targets gives Tories major ammo. It's a terrible headline, but it's a good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that is it, terrible. It is a terrible headline, but it's a very good column. Uh, John Iveson in the National Post. Nice. I'm going to recommend a piece out of the Washingtonian magazine. Um, what happened after my 13 year old son joined the alt right? It is a super interesting read. Uh, it's it's anonymous. Um, it was published in May, so basically, it's a, written by this mum whose 13-year-old son was accused of sexual harassment at school and then all the crazy stuff that happened with school administration. He ended up being pulled out of that school and sent to a private school because the parents were like, we don't like how this was dealt with. Anyway, he started kind of going more online, getting involved in Reddit and then going on all of these kind of like alt-right Nazi sites and stuff like that. And it's how she and her husband tried to deal with it and what it was like to try and parent this kid who was – turning against all of the beliefs that they had in their household. I loved that piece also. And it was just so interesting because she talks about how they're like such a progressive liberal family. And yeah. so she was like, I don't know what to do with the fact that my kid is now yeah. becoming all right. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was it was fascinating read. Absolutely. Uh, Dave. I'm going to recommend a piece from New York Times Magazine called The Day the Music Burned. It was the biggest disaster in the history of the music business and almost nobody knew. So apparently in 2008, there was a fire on the Universal Studios back lot. It burned the King Kong experience ride, but also burned a warehouse. Mm -hmm. A small section of that warehouse was reserved for Universal Music Group master tapes. And apparently this great wealth of music from the 20th century was lost forever. And, you so know, people sad. say like, well, what's, what's the big deal if all this stuff exists on streaming platforms and CDs and everywhere is the master tape is where like the purest sound of the recording uh, exists. And so, you know, you could have something on CD that was released 20 years ago, but an artist would want to, you know... Now the technology is better, you could get a better version of the recording and, you know, stuff by like Chuck Berry, uh, The Roots. Um, I, oh, there's a huge list. And it's just kind of depressing when you, so when you go through and read it. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. 
It's a great read. Yeah, we've got some really lighthearted, happy reads around the table yeah. here today, guys. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. I do also want to let you guys know um, that there is a promotion right now if you head to edmontonjournal.com slash podcast and you can get a free 30-day subscription. So I would highly recommend that you do that. You should have do done that stuff. anyway, but hey, if, if you Yeah, you should have done that. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we write lots of stuff. Some of it's pretty good. Lots of it's pretty good. We're awesome, guys. <laughs> Is that good? That was a good promo, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And, of course, another reminder to subscribe wherever you podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Give us a rating if you'd be so kind. Any questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to me, egraney at postmedia.com or find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Have an awesome week and we'll be back again next week with more Press Gallery.